Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So let's, let's pretend for a second. Okay, you just got like the ultimate gift ever. And maybe it's not a gift for you, but we're going to pretend it's a gift, right? You just got the opportunity to become king or queen of your very own land, okay? You get to be king or queen. And I know some of you, and that's already scary to say. <laughs> but you get to be king or queen. So let's just start to put this in some perspective here. You are king or queen of a new land, and let's just say, because I heard it's supposed to, I'm not going to say the word on stage, but no, tonight again, right? No. So we're going <laughs> to... You can say no all you want. That's not how this works. Let's pretend. Let's just take and pretend for a moment. We're going to pick our land, and I want to pick Hawaii. You get Hawaii, all right? That is yours. You get Hawaii. Now, I've never been to Hawaii, but all my friends who've been there rub it in my face and tell me how awesome it is. So you are now king or queen of Hawaii, okay? So let's just put this all together. You get to now choose who is going to join you in this new land. Okay, you get to pick who your people are, who are going to be in your kingdom. So your first thought, okay, you get to pick. You're going to probably start with family, right? So you're going to go through your family. I want my family to come with me. And you start to think through, well, which family members, right? Because <laughs> y'all got that crazy Uncle Kenny, right, who is like sleeping with his mouth open and snoring all through Christmas and like starts fights about politics and, you know, always like tension. I'm going to leave him at home but I'm going to bring everybody else. And you're going to go through your family. And you're going to say, I want, I want these people. But then I'm going to go to my friends list. So I'm going to take all my friends with me. And so those friends can be pretty extensive. Like, who are your friends? That, that actually begs a bigger question, right? Like, who are really your friends? Do you go through your Facebook list or your Instagram followers and say, these are my friends? Or do you look at a different place and say, okay, my friends really are my high school friends. So those of you who are in high school or those of you who remember back to our high school days, think of the people you'd want to bring with you. You could have a high school reunion in your new land, but you know who you're not bringing. You're not bringing the bullies. You're not bringing the star quarterback who snubbed you for prom. You're not bringing the girl, the head cheerleader who broke up with you in ninth grade algebra class and made you cry in the middle of class. Sorry, that's my story. I have issues. <laughs> She's not coming. <laughs> but you go through your friends list and you start to pick the people who I think who's going to be the best for my kingdom. But let's keep going with this. You're going to start to think about the best. You have sports teams. So obviously, you're bringing the Packers, you're bringing the Brewers, and you're bringing the Bucks. It is so obvious Giannis is coming with us to our new kingdom. But, you know, we might trade a few players and grab, because we can make whatever we want right here. We're going to have the best teams ever. And obviously, we are not bringing anybody from Chicago or any Chicago teams absolutely ever. It is so, it's my kingdom. It's my kingdom. This is my kingdom. So <laughs> it's all of our kingdom. We all know what's true. So. We're not, we're going to bring everything we like, but now we got to start, let's keep willing down because we have to build an economics. So in economics, we're going to bring the smartest, brightest, best of everything. 
We're going to bring like the best companies. We're going to bring the best workers. We're going to bring everyone to make tons of money because we have to pay for this kingdom somehow, right? And you're king or queen and you got to have like a throne and like purple velvet on it, right? To sit on your throne and you're king or queen. So you want to have the best of the best of the best of literally everything possible. You want the best inventors. You want healthcare. What about healthcare? You've got to have the best healthcare. You're going to bring the best doctors. You're going to bring the best pharmacies. You're going to bring everything. And then you've got to have some sort of politics. So you're going to bring the best politics. Never mind, you're going to start over there. But <laughs> you are going to look for the best and the brightest because you're, you don't want to have the best kingdom possible. You want to start from square one. We want low crime rates. We want the best schools. So obviously, we're bringing Slinger to with us to Hawaii. We want the best schools. We want everything, right, to be absolute best because it's our kingdom. And if we're a good king or queen, what we want is we want our people to love being there. We want them to be encouraged. We want them to thrive. We don't want war. We don't want our kingdom to go to war with anybody. We want to have peace. We want awesomeness. We want joy. We want to have we use the word utopia. We want a utopia. And now, this is what's so absolutely crazy about what we're going to explore today. Jesus built a kingdom on the opposite people. Jesus chose criminals, the worst of the worst. He built his kingdom with prostitutes, liars, and thieves. He decided, I'm going to build my kingdom, not with just the select but I'm going to take the lowest of low. God built his kingdom with you. Now, I don't know you personally because you're a group of people, but let's just say this for a second. I don't know if, I'm going to assume that there's better than us in this room in terms of the greatest thinkers of the world. You're, you're a great thinker, I'm sure. But I'm sure there's better. I don't see any major league athletes or any NBA stars. Hey guys, you're always welcome to come to Mosaic, mosaicwi.com, please join us. I don't see them in our room today. In fact, I would build my kingdom around the opposite of what Jesus would in the same way I think you would too. So why? Why would he do that? Why would the God of the universe, who can have the best of the best of the best, say, I want the lowest of the worst of the broken, and I'm going to save them, and I'm going to take them now and join them and they get to be a part of my kingdom. And that's what we're going to dive into our passage today. We're entering into Easter week. We have this week, next week, and Easter is upon us. If, I know everyone culturally understands what Easter means, but for us in the faith world, Easter is a huge monumental time because on Good Friday, we're going to celebrate the fact that Christ did something just un, un, understandable. It's, it just pushes us to our limit of understanding a king is going to die to build a kingdom. The king is going to die to save his people. That is Good Friday. And then Easter, this king doesn't stay dead. He comes back alive and brings all of his people an opportunity to join him. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, uh, they're a little dark in here for paper Bibles today, but your Bible apps that illuminate, we're in Luke chapter 19, 28 to 40, Luke 19. 28 to 40. Uh, if you're newer to Bible reading, that's in the New Testament, part of what we call the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels are five books 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Sorry, uh, four books. I said five, four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, these books are put together, and these books are accounts of Jesus taken from different perspectives. So the authors wrote it in different perspectives. Uh, Luke was a doctor, and he took it from a very doctorish, very uh, literal standpoint, and he was also writing to a Gentile audience. And so his perspective looks different. You ever wonder, why are all these stories all different but kind of the same? That's why, uh, from that account. Luke chapter 19. This is what we call the triumphant entry. And if you've heard of that terminology before, Jesus is about to enter into or head towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It is the epicenter of worship. It's the epicenter of culture for the Jewish people. And as Jesus is now making his entry into this place, we're going to see some very interesting things. Let's get into the passage, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, stop for a second, had said this, he just had given a parable. Okay, now we're fast forwarding. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So here we see a very odd way to get transportation. But we're going to join into what is happening here. Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. A couple of very important pieces here that we're not going to see with Western eyes. Again, we are from a Western culture. We are from a Greek way of thinking. We think differently. We, our culture is different than Eastern. And in Eastern, this Middle Eastern culture, things are very different. And for the Hebrew culture, things are very different. First of all, he goes and says, I want you to go into this village. I want you to find a cult which is a very, very young animal. Uh, I want you to find this colt. I want you to see it tied there. And if anyone asks you why you take it, just say, uh, my master wants it. Like, we're going to take this thing. Um, I grew up in Milwaukee. If someone says that to you, you're getting jacked, right? So um, I, my master wants it. This is just the way that it's going to be. So they go into there, but Jerusalem has outlying villages. So when we think of Jerusalem, there's a city but just like anything in Milwaukee, there's outlying villages. We are in an outlying village of a metropolitan sprawl, right? So they're outlying villages. So they're en route to this. This is where pilgrims and pilgrimages would come through. And this trade route, as it would come through, uh, is where they would be supplies and there would be lodging. So very naturally, you think of this very natural uh, thing happening here. You've got uh, the big city and you've got some outliers and everybody's trying to make some money. So in this outlying villages that would be there, there would be animals that people would buy to sacrifice. So for the Jewish people, sacrifices were very, very important. God had set up a method or a way of atoning for sins to say to God, 
hey, God, I've totally messed up, and I need you to see that I've messed up. And God says, you have to take an unblemished, perfect animal. You'll bring it to the temple. This will be sacrificed on your behalf because for life to be given, life has to be taken. Life has, for life to be given, life has to be taken. And so God had set up a ritual of taking these unblemished, perfect animals and to be sacrificed. Now, in our culture, like that is like, whoa. I mean, could you imagine in Western culture? I'm not suggesting you take your beautiful dog Fido right now to have it sacrificed, right? But they would get these animals. But this was part of their uh, adherence to God and God's ways. It was a reminder and a constant reminder that they can't save themselves, that they are sinners, and they need somebody to save them. So they are on this route, and they go, and there's this village that would be there, and as they go into Jerusalem is where the temple was. So they would stop, and they need their supplies to go into for their sacrifices. It makes sense, right? Everybody's got to make their money. If you've ever gone to any sporting event anywhere, you've got the real stuff inside the stadium, and you've got the guy having the bootleg stuff Outside, when I was at game six of the Bucks last year, there were like 80 different stops of bootleg NBA championship shirts all along the, route, along the road and route to Pfizer Forum. And so they would have animals that weren't bootleg, but you, you know, buy my animals, I'm cheaper here, right? So it's the same commerce as we have today. So they would have a place there and it makes sense that they would find this young colt. This young colt had never been ridden is very purposeful. It was unblemished and set aside for sacrifice. This was an unblemished colt. It had been broken. It had not been ridden. It was young, and it was perfect. Unblemished was very important for the people because God had said, I don't want you to bring me your junk. I don't want you to say, I've got 10 fantastic sheep, and this one's got a broke leg. So God, you can save me with the broke leg sheep. That is not what God said. God says, I want you to bring the best of the best of the best. Because a false sacrifice does not please me. I want you to bring your best. And that animal now is going to take your place. You want that broke-legged sheep to take your place? Or is it about the best? Now, God does not need animals sacrificed. It was all about us and our heart and about our condition and about the fact that we need God. So we have this colt that's tied up there, unblemished, first fruits, something that's never been written. And so now it's, it makes a whole lot of sense because this colt who is meant to be the sacrifice, check this out now, the colt that was meant to be the sacrifice that was built, it was born, it was made to be sold for sacrifice, now is going to take the king of kings on his back who is going to be the sacrifice. And the king of kings is only going to ride that which is unblemished and perfect. It's a beautiful word analogy of that the donkey, the colt, this animal is no longer the sacrifice. Jesus is now the sacrifice. He is going to enter into here as the king of kings and root to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. Unbelievable story when we start to really dig into this. So Jesus sends two disciples, and he tells them, take this colt, untie it, and I want you just to say, hey, our master needs it. The Lord needs it. So how do we know Jesus can do that? Isn't that kind of a, it just doesn't make sense to us, right? 
So we put ourselves back into this culture. Jesus says, I want you to go. Now, if you were the two disciples that Jesus sent, okay, I want you to go to some random person you don't know, say, hey, I need to borrow your car for about 20 minutes, and we're going to bring it back right quick. You don't know this person. I just say, tell them Jason sent you. Like, they're like, who's Jason? <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> There's no way they're going to give up this car. And think of the awkwardness of this whole moment. So these are real people in real time. So Jesus says to two of his disciples, I want you to go and tell them that I need it. So I can imagine them looking at each other like, uh, okay, right? But they've seen so many miracles. They've seen Jesus do so many things over and over again. And you start to wonder, how many times does God have to show himself till we believe? How many times does God have to show himself to you till you believe, right? But did they start to believe? So they go, and they go up to this group, and then the owner's there. He's like, hey, man, uh, I know this is super awkward. Uh, I don't know how this goes. Uh, we're going to take that colt. And why are you taking my, why are you untying my colt, right? Like, there could be some, like, instant frustration. Um, the Lord needs it. And they're like, okay, how cool is that? That Jesus' authority was already there. These people knew who Jesus was. They knew. And I don't know where they were in their journey, if they were really understood him or following him, but the fact that he had the authority to say that Jesus needs it shows his authority in the culture and his authority among the Jewish people. He is coming into this, and he can say, hey, I need this. And they're like, okay, cool. You don't have to pay it. It's free of charge. And so he gets this colt. Boy, I wish I could do that with a new car. I wish I could just say, hey, I would really like that. Can I please have that? And they're like, sure, just take it, right? Uh, if I do that, I won't be here next week. Nick will be preaching. I'll be in jail. So we won't do that. So there's knowledge and acceptance of who Jesus is, that this cult is accepted for him to take. This cult is unblemished. It has not been broken. It has not been ridden. This cult is perfect. Jesus is perfect. And we are setting up this word picture of what's about to happen. If you've been in the church world for a while, this is also, you add into it the triumphal entry. You've maybe heard different accounts of it and different stories and different versions of it. There's a, no matter what you've heard of this or what you've studied over years or your first time hearing this, and you're like, this is, wow, this is a big story. There's a major theme here is that the king is coming. Because when Jesus gets onto this colt, now they put their cloaks over it. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. They are bony and they are not comfortable. Like when I think of like majestic, regal, you know, those big, huge, like Clydesdales, you know, like from the Budweiser commercials, those big, huge, like horses. Or when I see people go out to war, like in Braveheart, they got big, huge steeds with big, like huge saddles and they got like swords and stuff and like real kingly. And here this dude's rolling into with nothing and says, here, I've got this colt. Jesus says, I want the unblemished colt. I don't want the comfortable ride is. Now, what I'm looking for is not who I am. I'm not here for that. I'm here for something different because we're going to see that colt is actually very important. I'm going to go back into verse 35 to 38. Check this out. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. 
When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The disciples bring the colt to Jesus. They put their cloaks on it. And then the story starts to move forward because Christ comes in as a prophet. They put him onto the colt. And now Christ is royalty. Because now they have proclaimed with their own mouth, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. They have been waiting for Messiah. They've been waiting for their king. Um, Israel has been waiting and waiting and waiting. And they said, this is it. We are finally here. Jesus is the one. He has come. This is our time. And the excitement is just starting to raise up. And the energy is starting to shake. And here comes Jesus. Gluk, 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 gluk. Because they didn't walk smooth. They were super janky. Their legs aren't exactly right. They weren't yet trained to carry people. So he's coming in on a colt. Coming in on a colt. So the disciples are there. And when we think disciples, we always think the 12 disciples. And rightfully so. But there were more disciples than just the 12 that we see. There is large groups of people. We don't know the exact number. Some have estimated 120. We don't really know the number. But there's a large group of people that are saying, this is it. This is it. This is what Jesus had talked about. And so they start worshiping God. And they start raising their voices as they're going down this pathway through these villages on their way to the capital. They're on their way to Jerusalem. So as they go through this and they start praising God, people are like, what is going on? And just like any of us, we're all drawn to a crowd. You know, they're not staring at their phones like, just keep saying words. You know, like they are focused. They don't have phones. They don't have entertainment. And so when noise and all this is happening, people are like, what's going on? What's going on? The crowds start pushing and shoving and the disciples are worshiping God. And this group of people start worshiping God. So if you want to know if your life matters, start worshiping God and see if people around you do it too. These people were just worshiping God and giving everything. And these people are coming and they're taking their cloaks, they're taking off their clothes and they're laying it on the ground as Jesus is walking by on a colt. Now that might feel weird to us because Maybe in our perspective and maybe in our, in our world, which isn't even done anymore. So I'm going to speak to an older generation. It was honorable for a man to take his jacket off so that he'd put it over a puddle so a woman would not walk in a puddle to get her shoes wet. And that man would sacrifice his coat for his lady. Um, now it seems that this generation just laughs and puts it on TikTok. But there used to be a thing called chivalry back in the day, and they would lay this down, the woman, so her foot was not to get wet, to honor her and to respect her. And in this actual culture, they were doing something that had been done for years, hundreds and hundreds of years, is that when a king comes, a king does not need to touch the ground. A king is to be lifted up and honored. And we can see this in the Old Testament. Um, if you're new to Bible reading, the Old Testament is the stories of God working through humanity before, with the Jewish people before Jesus came. And so we're going to go back to that. This is pre-Jesus in 2 Kings 9.13. Just listen to this quick verse. A king is coming. They said this, 
they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him as the bear, uh, on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. A new king is coming in the Old Testament, and they're taking off their cloaks and they're putting them under there so that he didn't touch the ground. And so this was a tradition of kings. So they are taking him from this Jesus was doing miracles to this Jesus is king. That's very significant as we move into the Easter week. So they are doing exactly that. So these aren't just the disciples because they don't have that many cloaks, right? So they're, they are praising God. These are all the villagers. They're all coming in. And so this ruckus is just starting on their way to Jerusalem. But something happens. Not everybody likes what is going on. Not everybody likes that he is being recognized as king. And what is just so fascinating about this story is that this is the God of the universe. This is God's son who is there in creation, is taking this humble, lowly position, even as he comes as king of all. Now, this Jesus can build his kingdom any way he chooses, right? This is King Jesus. He's coming as king. He's like, all right, I'm king now, and you are all gone. <laughs> I don't want you. I'll take you. I'll take you. And he could start picking who's going to be the most effective to build his kingdom. He could build, he knows that generations are going to be impacted by the moments that are spreading out in the next week. He could have done that, but this is what he does instead. He picks 12 disciples who are mostly teenagers. His 12 disciples would have been in their teens. Peter, most likely in his 20s, to change the world that you're sitting here today. And if you ever read the Bible, this person, why I like the Bible, they are not good at their job. They mess things up. They squabble all the time. They're like little brats sometimes, and they're arguing with each other, and they don't understand what Jesus is saying. And sometimes it's like, oh, my goodness, when are you going to get this? Which I totally can understand at times. He's, he seems like, when are you going to understand this? But he picked them, and he picked you. That is what is so unbelievable. Why would God build his kingdom with you? Maybe there's some part of us that we believe that we deserve to be part of his kingdom. And maybe that's the tension today. I'm a kind of a good person. I kind of do some good things. I think I can really benefit God. See, I'm talented, right? I can talk on a stage and people can listen to me. And I'm talented. I can draw pictures and I'm talented. I'm a physician and I'm talented. And we start to put our talents before God. And this king says, hey, cool talents. Who gave them to you? Oh yeah, I did. So uh, kind of not a point to try to make to me. Instead, look at it from a different perspective, that this king did something so that his kingdom was available for everybody. He has open borders. He brought in all the refugees. He brought in all the broken. He brought in all the people that most Christian people don't want to talk to or hang out with. He brought in prostitutes. He brought in drug dealers. He brought in thieves. He brought them all in and said, you know what? You are welcome in my kingdom. You just have to know that I'm the one that saved you. That's it. Well, I don't want to do that, God. That's too big of a thing. I have to actually accept the fact that you saved me? No way, because I'm good enough to get in your kingdom. 
I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm talented. And we start to list the things. And that is our tension point, friends. I think our tension point when it comes into our spiritual life is this, is that you're trying to build God's kingdom the same way you'd build your kingdom. You pick and choose the people that you think are worthy enough to to be a part of your kingdom, and you tell God, this is my kingdom, and I've built it, and maybe I'll let you into mine. Maybe I'll let you into mine, because it's my world, it's my life. I get 76 to maybe 87 years on earth. I'm going to do me, and then after that, we can maybe talk about what's up. But look at how good I am. I've built my kingdom. Maybe I'll let you in. Our God says, you're making a mess of everything. You are broken. You are hurting, but I'm going to make you beautiful. Because of me, that brokenness becomes beautiful. Guys, that's why we named our church Mosaic. It's because of that beautiful truth that his kingdom is built on broken people, made beautiful because of the gospel. So we move on. He comes in. He's riding this colt. And this colt is a beautiful picture of something that we haven't even explored yet. When a a colt is a sign of peace, a horse is is a sign of war. When a king comes in on a horse, or a king, think of any kingly type things where kings are riding stuff, you don't see them riding small little janky animals, right? They have the biggest, brightest, Clydesdaliest animals that they are. And they come in and they're totally decked out. They are shiny, they are blingy, they got like eight swords, they're looking fresh, they're clean, they got bears behind them, they got little trumpets blowing for them. These kings come in, and everyone knows, okay, here comes the king. It's a really big deal. That is, those kings, horses are a sign of war. The colt is actually a sign of peace. It's a sign that this king is coming not to rage war. He's coming into Jerusalem as the king of peace. We sing about it Christmas time, right? Prince of peace. So now it makes sense Jesus is coming in, he's on this animal, he's coming as a king of peace to bring peace to every single human available, not just to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people, but for everybody. And this is what's so mind-blowing. The Pharisees, the religious people are like, hey man, you gotta tell your boys to stop talking. Now, depending on your church experience, I don't know your church experience, Church sometimes can be hurtful because people are hurtful and people are in church, therefore church hurts, okay? Let's just call that what that is. Uh, People hurt people. Even not intentionally, we're just all messy people, right? But here we have the fact that these church people, these are the teachers of the law, are seeing Jesus come in, and actually this is a kind of a cool tension. They are saying, you gotta stop this from happening because they are screaming blasphemy. Blasphemy is this aberration. You cannot speak against God this way. You are, you're, they're claiming that you're the king and that you're the Messiah. You've got to stop them from talking. And Jesus' response, absolutely not. <laughs> so click, 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 click. He's on this thing, and you can see these religious teachers pushing through the crowds. Rabbi, rabbi, tell these crowds to stop worshiping you. Tell them to stop doing this right now. And he says something that is so crazy. He says, absolutely not. If, you, if they stop, even these rocks are going to start crying out and worshiping. Now, is that a literal thing? 
We see in scriptures, there's this word picture all throughout scriptures of how nature and everything God creates cries out to God. That if we are not going to speak, the rocks themselves would cry out. Now, would literally they start, like that would really, (laughs) wow, wow. I don't think it's literal. I think it's a point being made. That is necessary for them who have realized the king coming, and it is right. It is more so that even if they won't, the impossible will happen because God's time has come. You want to see the impossible happen? Cool, but I'm not stopping them because that'll freak you all out. These rocks, that which I saw at creation, I was there when the rocks were created. They will call out, but even then, these people will do it for me. So no necessary, not necessary. Let them sing. Let them call out to God because this is what is right. But everything takes a turn. We see Jesus, he's on here and he's coming into Jerusalem. The Lamb of God is now on an animal which was to be sacrificed. The sacrifice is now on an unblemished animal making his triumphal entry here comes the king. He is walking. He, whoa, this isn't what we thought. But hey, let's worship God anyways. And they're putting their cloaks on. Here comes the king. Here comes the king. And let's look at this contrast. Luke 19, 38 says, Blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Luke 23, 21. But they kept shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. We are just chapters away. The same crowd that was saying, here comes the king, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, these same regal people who took off their cloaks to put on the ground to honor the coming king are the same ones one week later are going to scream, crucify him. What in the world happened? The king of all kings the king of peace, the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who came to save them, is now being screamed to be crucified by the very people he came to save. I don't want to point fingers because I think it's time for us to point fingers at this crowd. Because there was a misconception for the people. Many thought that this new king coming was going to actually be the one that frees them from Roman Empire. If you know anything about history of that time, Romans, uh, the Roman Empire ruled over the land. And the Jewish people had been waiting that they would knew a Messiah was going to save them, and they believed that they would be freed from Roman rule, and this was all about politics. This was about politics, and that they were going to be freed, and that they were going to be in charge again, and they'd go back to their glory days of when Israel was the mainstay in the Middle East, and Jesus did not come to put Israel as a mainstay for the Middle East. He came to save you. And so when Jesus comes and they find out, wait, you aren't the political power that we thought was going to take over the government and blow up Rome, and with one fail swoop, we are going to take over the world? Kill him. He's fake. We don't want that king. King of the Jews, he's not my king. 
People will deny him. People will spit on him. People will mock him. The same group of people that were sitting in the crowd, laying their cloaks on the ground on the way to Jerusalem, are the same people in Jerusalem there. How do we know that? Because everyone was on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. They were all on a pilgrimage, which the Jewish people did. If they were spread, they go back to the capital city to come back to worship Passover. And so there's a pilgrimage of people. The crowds would have been huge. The movies do not do it justice with the amount of people that would have been in Jerusalem. So there are people in that crowd who are saying, here comes the king, who are screaming, crucify him. But if we're honest, if we're honest about our lives, when Jesus doesn't give you what you want, don't you in your own way scream, crucify him? When I don't get the God that I want, when I don't get the promotion I want, when things happen bad in my life, I turn around and say, God, where are you? Why don't you care about me? In the same way, in our own lives, do you not at times struggle with the point of when Jesus the King has done everything to save you, you turn your back? And aren't there times in your lives, if you're honest, that you spit on because you're mad, because you didn't get what you want, because he wasn't the King that you wanted, or maybe even this, God is not turning out to the God that you wanted him to be. If you've been in the faith world for a while, that can be a very evident thing. You thought that God was going to be X, but he's actually turning out to be something different. You made God to fit your kingdom. You never learned and tried to find out what his kingdom really was. And so in his kingdom, everyone's welcome. That means a broken, messed up, lost people. So if you're broken, messed up, lost today, welcome to the kingdom. You're all welcome. Because whether we admit it or not, we are all broken and messed up. And in God's kingdom and his economy, God's kingdom looks completely different than our kingdom. God's kingdom looks different than the world's way of doing things. And so in this story, the king is coming. He's coming triumphantly. But where are you in this story, guys? Where are you just today? Are you one of the disciples? Maybe you're at a place right now, you're one of the disciples like, here comes the king. You are worshiping God. You are giving your life to everything and saying, God, you are my everything. And you worship him. And you're part of that group of people who's making the ruckus. Maybe you're part of the crowd right now that you're laying down your cloak saying, I see you, Jesus is king, and I want you, but I'm, I don't know what's really there yet. I just see the hype of the crowd. I see the hype of mosaic. I see the hype of what's happened. I see it. I want to be a part of it, but I'm not sure yet, but maybe you're king. Maybe you're part of the crowd next week, in two weeks, as we move to Good Friday, that's going to be screaming, you know what, it's not what I wanted. Crucify him. Because when they said crucify him, they weren't saying crucify him for the purpose of saving people. They're saying crucify him, kill him, murder him. Friends, where are we on this journey it is such a stark contrast when you look at this humble, loving king who came to save us all. And so I ask you today, have you built God on your kingdom principles? And that's frustrating you? It's making you upset? Or are you building your life on God's principles and seeing his economy? Because whether you like it or not, the word tells us this, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess on heaven and earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus comes back, he comes back on a horse. 
When Jesus comes back, he's got a tat on his thigh. My terminology is, it's written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus comes back, he's wielding a sword of fire. When Jesus comes back, he comes back as king. And you know what he builds? He builds his kingdom of peace with his people. The good king is coming. So either we call him Lord now, or we will then. Where are you as we enter into this Easter season? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.